Grab your Bibles or, ones that, or one of the ones that we've provided and turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And in the Bibles that we provide, that will be on page 987, 987. Wow, can you believe that we've been in the club now for one year? Today marks the one-year anniversary of us being in the club here, and they have been very generous with us, and it has been a blessing and served our church well. And so uh, as we reflect back, God has done great things, and we're excited to look forward and continue to see how God will do great things in our church and through us in our city. Well, my name is John Chastain. I serve as one of the pastors here, and I'm, I'm delighted and honored to be able to bring God's word to you today. As we continue our series, as Tanner said, um, we're going to be looking at today the best date ever. This is kind of like a bridge sermon. Last week, Tanner looked at um, the best gift in singleness. Next week, we're going to look at marriage. And so I'm kind of stuck here in between and how you get from singleness to marriage. Now, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that dating is a hot topic in our city. I mean, just look at the numerous college students, thousands of college students that fill our city, the young professionals that end up hanging around in our city, and, and dating is basically assumed if you're single and if you're of age, and that age keeps dropping lower and lower, I feel, every year. Um, I mean, you can go to boston.com. You can head to the website. Anybody ever hang out on boston.com, check in? I mean, just go to the lifestyle page, boston.com lifestyle, and you start looking at the list of articles that are geared toward dating. I actually did this last night. And so, you know, here's what I found. Front page, top one. Is he into this? Now I find myself just hoping he will reach out and he tends not to. Should I give it more time or is he pulling the slow fade away. <laughs> or, next article, is it strange that I don't want a relationship? Or, the league, an elite new dating app, is ushering in a new era of swiping standards. No fakes and no randoms are allowed to join the league. This is elite. You've got dating apps, and then you have elite dating apps, and this is it. I mean, just go to Boston.com. There's no denying dating is a hot topic, and it is faced in front of us almost every day. So why is it important that we spend an entire sermon on the issue of dating? I mean, have you ever heard a sermon on dating? Just, just think. Have you ever heard a sermon? And let me give you a number of reasons why I think this is important, our time today. Number one, there's very little difference, oftentimes today, between how Christians and non-Christians date. So let me just ask you this question. If this is true, why? Should there be a difference in the way Christians and non-Christians date and pursue one another. And then secondly, tragically, we continue to see marriages end in divorce. And so it would be wise for us to step back and at least ask, are there some things we can do on the front end that would help prepare us for marriage in the long term? And so man, if you're a middle school or high school student today and you're here with us, now is the time. I know that you're tempted to, hey, kind of clock out, but I, I want to give my best shot to you. You need to develop a biblical framework today, not later, as you think through dating. If you're single, I would pray that the Lord would grant you humility. And let me just, let me just say this. Maybe even you're here today and, and you're in a relationship. You know what your greatest temptation is going to be today? I think one of the greatest temptations, which I even struggled with myself in dating relationships, is that once you're in a relationship, you put blinders on your eyes, you close your ears to everything outside. 
and you don't really want to listen to what anybody has to say, would you pray right now that God would grant you the humility to openly and honestly evaluate your relationship, that you wouldn't come back defensive? It's all right, God, as we just sang, all for you, that I'm gonna put my dating relationship on the table and say, what does it look like to live all for you in this? But maybe you're here today and you're like, man, I'm not single, I'm married. John, why do I need to pay attention for the next 40, 45 minutes? If you're married here today, I guarantee there's somebody in your life that you're investing in that's a single. I mean, do you have kids, parents, moms and dads? One day, it is gonna be your responsibility to walk. I'm sitting here this morning with my three kids and, and one's at home sick and thinking through, what does it look like to raise my kids and teach them to think about biblical dating? Hey, are you in a community group? Are you a community group leader? You've probably got singles in your community group and you're gonna be engaging in discussion this week. And at Redemption Hill, we challenge you guys to be a disciple who's making a disciple. And so if you're older in the faith and you're married, my guess is hopefully that, that you're grabbing some singles as Tanner challenged last week and having them over for a meal. And so what are you gonna help do and teach them as it relates to dating? So here's what let's do today. Not only is there great temptation to be defensive, my guess is I'm probably gonna say some things today that you may even disagree with. So on the front end, let's agree with this. I wanna just ask you to agree with one thing for me. If you disagree with something that I say, and that may be because, man, you're living in sin, or that may be for many other reasons, will you do this? Will you agree to at least ask yourself, hey, why am I disagreeing? I want you to take the next step. If you disagree, answer that question. Why are you disagreeing with what I'm saying today. Is there something that you're trying to hold on to that you think a biblical approach is gonna take from you? So where do we start? We're gonna go to the Word. That's where we would normally start, right? Um, but the challenge when it comes to dating, where's the text that we're gonna go to? I mean, there's no explicit mention of dating in the Bible, right? So we just dismiss it off altogether? No, we believe, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, that the Bible is sufficient to equip the man of God and the woman of God for every good work. And so while today's sermon is gonna look a little different, what do we normally, what's the normal diet of Redemption Hill? Normally, we're gonna come and we're gonna take one passage of scripture and we're just gonna walk through it. With dating, what we're gonna do is we're going to the word, but we're gonna be looking at a number of different texts today to try to piece together a framework and some principles that we can honor God in our dating. So we're gonna start off in 1 Thessalonians chapter four. 1 Thessalonians chapter four. And I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna read. And I wanna ask you to pray for the things I just asked you to pray about. Heavenly Father, would you crush our pride right now as we're gonna be confronted with your word and what it looks like to please you in our dating relationships. God, would you grant us humility to receive your word? Would you give us grace to openly and honestly evaluate our lives, and whether they're all for you in the area of dating? Would you equip us to make disciples who please you in dating relationships, whether that's our kids, our community group, our mentoring relationships? God, we ask that your word would be powerful, would change and transform us. In the power of the Spirit, in the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. First Thessalonians chapter four, beginning in... Verse one, Paul writes, finally then, brothers, for the first three chapters of the book of Thessalonians, First Thessalonians, Paul has been defending the integrity of his ministry to them in hopes that now, coming to chapter four, he can give them specific instructions on what it looks to live the Christian life. So he says, finally then, brothers and sisters, and look at what he says. Finally then, 
we ask and we urge you in the Lord Jesus. Do you hear that? Hear that language? We ask, a friendly ask, but then this word urge, this, this authoritative apostolic plea, we beg you, we plead with you, we urge you. And he says this, that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. Man, what do we know about the church at Thessalonica? Flip back one page. You see in chapter one, verse three, Paul begins by giving thanks. He says, we give thanks to God always for you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Faith, hope, love. He continues, look at verse six. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for a son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. I mean, look, Paul's praising. I mean, is there any room for growth here with the church at Thessalonica? Their faith, their hope, their love. Look, they're an example. Their, their faith is sounded forth everywhere. And yet look what he says in chapter four, verse one. As you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God just as you're doing, he's given commendation that you do so more and more. Why is he urging them even more and more that they would walk and please God? Go back to chapter three, verse 11. The verse is right before chapter four. Context always helps us to understand, man, what's going on in the Bible. So looking before to understand chapter four, he says this in verse 11. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. He'd already praised their labor of love and what does he do here? He prays that your love may increase, that you may increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. And then verse 13, so that, here's purpose, here's reason, that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Here's the point that I want you to get today. We should pursue dating in a way that is pleasing to the Lord and prepares your brothers and sisters in Christ to be blameless at his return. This is our framework. We're gonna take this framework in 1 Thessalonians. What does it look like to live pleasing to the Lord in a particular area and avenue in life, specifically as it relates to dating. You guys get this, right? Man, I could commend many of you for how the gospel has been at work in your life. And yet, what is the ultimate goal? I mean, look at our mission statement. It's not hanging up. I'll tell you what it is. You guys know it. I went to point over here. Redemption Hill Church exists to glorify God by living out his mission as a community transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. The ultimate goal is transformation into the likeness of Christ. Have any of you reached that yet? No. 
Man, this is what we are striving for, that we wanna be become more and more daily into the likeness of Christ. And that's what Paul's urging the church here. Even so, as your labor of love and your faith and hope, he says, I pray that more and more you would live to please God in ever-increasing measure as you wait for the return of Christ. Here's the reality. Jesus is gonna return one day. He is coming back for his bride. And we are to live in a way that is ready and eager for that return. So let me just ask you, how do you pursue dating in a way that's pleasing to the Lord? That's the goal of our sermon today. So my goal today, and this is our our trajectory, is to answer what does it look like to pursue dating in a way that's pleasing to the Lord. And so here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna look at three kind of different sections of the dating life. We're gonna look at before. What can I do before engaging in dating that I can, I can prepare in a way that's pleasing to the Lord? How can I actually engage in dating in a way that's pleasing to the Lord? And then once I've entered into engagement that last season before marriage, what does it look like to please the Lord? You guys with me? If so, nod your head, yes. Before, in it, and as we wait and prepare for marriage. So first, please God and how you prepare yourself for dating. I wanna give you a few principles here that I believe if you'll really apply these, it'll actually carry out and overrun into how you engage in dating. The first one is this, soberly reflect on your own spiritual walk with Christ. Will you do that with me today? And one of the greatest challenges that Tanner did last week for those who are single is he's asking this, how are you glorifying God in your singleness? He said, are you pursuing single-minded devotion to Christ with urgency? Are you serving Jesus with all your heart? Are you, are you pursuing community? Are you pursuing contentment in Jesus above all else? And are you pursuing greater hope in Jesus than the prospect of your marriage? Hey, here's the deal. If you don't look inwardly and assess what's going on in the heart, the temptation is going to look and think that dating is going to satisfy desires that I've got. And that is completely wrong. So if you don't address what's going on in your life and reflect on your spiritual with Christ, you're going to enter into a dating relationship with the wrong expectations. Here's the deal. Only Jesus can satisfy you. Do you believe that? Only, no no mate, no potential relationship can satisfy the deepest longings of your heart. So if you're single today, let me just ask you, are you content in your singleness? I mean, Tanner shared last week that singleness is a gift. If you're content in your singleness, since that God's given you the gift of singleness, well, you don't need to be dating. Why pursue dating right now? God's given that as a gift. And that was the plea that Tanner shared with us last week. If you're content in your singleness and the gift that God's given you, use that and maximize it for the glory of God. Now we also know there's a way to be content in singleness and yet have desires for marriage. And so now that's you. Before you engage in dating, I would just ask you, man, are you practicing the rhythms of grace? Are you growing in your walk with Christ? Do you see the fruit of the Spirit in increasing measure more and more in your life? I love this pursuit, that that you should make it your aim to be a godly spouse versus finding a godly spouse. And yet, modern dating flips that on the head. It's like you do everything you can to do to find the person as opposed to being the person. So what are you doing right now to be a godly man and woman? Second, as we please God in how you prepare yourself for dating, embrace marriage as the purpose of dating. When we look at modern dating, modern dating, and I'm talking about just outside of a biblical framework, may or may not have marriage as its goal. And it is, awfully, it is often purely recreational and educational. That's not biblical. So as I'm in this kind of bridge sermon here, from singleness to marriage, 
you've got to get what is the purpose and goal of dating. And if you get this, that dating is a means to provide a spouse, then you've got to reflect on, hey, man, if you're just kind of like playing the field, how do you justify that biblically? Man, I'm just kind of playing the field. I'm just kind of, man, enjoying this kind of single season and being in and out of relationships. So let me just ask you this. Are you at a place in your life where you are able to marry? If not, why would you be dating? You guys get that? If you're not in a place where you could be able to marry within a reasonable period of time, well, then you shouldn't be engaging in dating. There would be a lot other pursuits that Tanner shared with us last week that you could spend with your life. And the tragedy that I see in many singles is that much of their life is consumed in a dating relationship that in many cases ends. And you look back and, man, look at the endless hours and days that I've wasted with my life that I could have been spent honoring and glorifying and serving the Lord. You guys follow me here? So what I'm trying to do, I'm, I'm trying to lovingly help you see the bigger picture. Don't waste your time in a relationship that has no real strategic purpose and goal in it. Pursue God. But if you're not in a place where you could say, man, I could see myself being married, I want to press you. Why not? Why not? Is it because you're just stuck in a, man, real just immaturity? You're not growing in your Christian life? I mean, I want to challenge you men. If you're not in a place that you're, man, I can't be married. I don't say, why not? You need to be pursuing that and asking, what is it going to take in your life to prepare you to be a man of God that pursues a woman for the glory of God? But another clarifying purpose by saying, hey, marriage is the ultimate goal of dating is it helps clarify what you're looking for. So the purpose of marriage helps you to know what kind of person you should be looking for, which leads us to the third encouragement I want to share with you, is that you should look to God's word for characteristics of a godly mate. Not what Hollywood defines or any of the magazines that you look as you're checking out at Stop and Shop on what you should be looking for for a potential spouse. And note this, you should do this before you get into the relationship. You guys hear me there? You see, our tendency is to get in the relationship and then to start stepping back and evaluating. But here's the problem. When you get in the relationship, you get the blinders on and you can't properly, objectively evaluate a lot of these things. And so, man, you would do and save yourself tons of trouble if before you engage in a relationship, you would just ask the question, man, is this person a biblical man and woman pursuing the glory of God? And if you want some characteristics to pursue, I'll point you to another sermon that Tanner preached a few weeks ago on deacons. He laid out a number of great qualifications and he challenged all of us. Man, how are you pursuing this in your life? So go to Acts 6. Go to 1 Timothy 3. Go to 1 Peter 3 where it talks about what is true beauty that a woman should be pursuing. Go to Titus 2. Go to Proverbs 31 and look for a P31 girl. Amen. I like that ant. But don't deceive yourself here. Your goal here is not just to look for a Christian. There are a number of people that claim to be a Christian. There are a number of people that agree to even maybe our statement of faith or agree to go to church with you on Sunday. That's not what you're looking for. Here's what you want to look for. Jesus says, if anyone who wants to be my disciple, they must deny themselves, take up their cross, and come follow me. And so, man, as you're praying, you're not just looking, man, how can I just easily squeeze this person into the qualifications? You're looking for somebody who truly has a heart desiring to please God above all things in their life. And if you need help on that, I would actually say you do need help on that. As you're looking and praying, come ask your pastor. Hey, what do you think about this person? Ask your community group leader. 
Ask the person who knows you best, who's really pursuing God. Hey, man, do you see what I see in this person? Would you give your blessing on me to pursue this person for the glory of God? Now, that is the opposite of modern dating. Because what what does modern dating say to do? Man, you keep your, your dating life private. This is my decision. You don't have any say. And man, I don't want to tell, I don't want to ask anybody's opinion. This is my opinion. And yet biblical community, the one of the great beauties of the church, that God has given you the church so that you can not make mistakes. So come and ask for wisdom. That's what we're here. We love you. We love reflecting and helping you think through that. But let me just hit a, maybe a hot topic question here. Can a believer date an unbeliever? Many of you probably are familiar with 2 Corinthians 6, 14 that says, do not be unequally yoked. While the context there is not primarily about marriage, it, it could be applied to that. I want you to think about a, a, an Old Testament text. In Deuteronomy 7, Verses three and four, God forbids Israel from intermarrying with the nations. Do you know why? This is what he says. He says, they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. You guys catch that? Don't intermarry with the nations because they're gonna turn you from me in idolatry to other gods. So let me just ask you, man, as you're contemplating through, can you date or marry a non-believer? Why? Why would you? If your desire in life is to take up your cross and follow Christ, wouldn't you want to date and marry somebody that's going to help that and not hinder that? So I just want to give you some, man, practical questions to ask as you process, man, through this. Um, are your hopes the same as that of an unbeliever? Are your beliefs the same? Are your joys, are your convictions, are your worldviews, are your sources? Man, none of those are the same. If you're truly following Christ, they're not. So, man, what are your motives? I mean, let's just get it out there. What are your motives for pursuing a relationship with a non-believer? I would challenge you before you get in the relationship that you're praying and processing through these and seeking the glory of God. And then another encouragement in the before stage is be wise in where you pursue a godly mate. Hey, let me ask you this. This isn't a trick question. Where would you most likely find a person possessing godly characteristics? In church, (laughs) right? Yes, yes, it's not a trick question. So singles, serve your church. Get involved in a community group. Go on mission trips. Now, I get this. There's a difference between my whole purpose of existence here is to find a spouse I can pick point that person easily versus, man, I want to honor God, but this would be a great, where else am I going to find a godly spouse? It's going to be here. And so I would just challenge all the singles to look around and say, is there potential, has God potentially provided a spouse in my local church that I have not necessarily even thought about or pursued? That would be a very rational place as opposed to what the world's gonna say, man, you need to go hang out at the bars and the clubs, and this is where, man, don't be surprised if that's where you go on what you're gonna find. We can talk a little bit more later about that at our coffee house in a couple weeks. Hey, but what about online dating? Isn't that a question? Man, some of you have even wrestled with. Um, Man, there was a great, Q&A, ask John Piper. He, he actually answered this on his website. And I love what he says here. He says this, the biblical issue is not how you meet, but whom you marry. Do you guys get that? It's not how you meet, but whom you marry. And he continues. 
He said, I would think that you could rule out a lot of losers by using the internet. It won't take long to learn from Facebook and Twitter and blogs if this man or woman is passionate for Jesus or if Jesus is an incidental mark on the shoulder, shoulder or a trinket around the neck. You guys get that? Now, there are inherent dangers as we think about online dating, right? So we would be ignorant to go headfirst without thinking through that. And so you would want to do, be wise and move slow and protect your info and do a background check and all of that stuff. And I would even say, if, if you're going to engage in that, that you need extra accountability in place with those in place. But I've been a part of premarital counseling with a number of people now. Then that's how they met. So maybe you're sitting here today and, and there's like, you feel guilty or like that is in some sense unbiblical. I want to free you from that and say, online dating is not unbiblical, but yet be wise in how you engage. And I would say there'd probably be some sites that you just want to stay away from. You want to be wise in even where you go as you engage in online dating. Now let's just stop here. If you apply these principles, you will be placing yourself in an extremely healthy place to pursue a dating relationship. Oftentimes, as I'm evaluating relationships, I can pinpoint one of these that I've just shared with you where it went wrong beforehand. You guys follow me here? Now let's jump in. What does it look like in this middle section now to please God and how you engage in dating? Let me give you a definition. I've got to pick up my pace here. This is from Scott Croft at boundless.org. Boundless.org. Singles, marrieds, discipling people. Write that website down. Some great resources. I've drawn a number of principles and applied them into the sermon today. Um, and this is how he defines biblical dating. We may define biblical dating as a method of introduction and carrying out of a premarital relationship between a single man and a single woman that begins, maybe, with the man approaching and going through the woman's father or family that is conducted under the authority of the woman's father, family, or church, and that always has marriage, or at least a determination regarding marriage to a specific person, as its goal. Now, I want to try to unpack that for you. There's a lot here, and, and here we go. First encouragement, men initiate. Why? Where am I getting that from? Men initiate. As we think through dating, there's no specific text on dating, so what are we doing? We're looking to marriage, and we're asking, what does a biblical marriage look about like? And now we're working backwards to formulate a framework for dating. Now, when I look forward to marriage, and I'm still in a little bit of Tanner's thunder, I've got to do that, but he's preaching on marriage next week, so if you've got questions on marriage, just hang on. He'll clarify everything I mess up today. Um, you look to marriage... And you see that God has roles in marriage. And you see this starting all the way back in Genesis chapter 2. And this is how Paul argues in 1 Timothy. Adam was created first, and then Eve. You see Adam, who's naming the animals. Adam, whose rib was taken out to create Eve. Adam, who's naming Eve. There are roles. Now, before you get all tied up here and, and wrestling through that, man, this is no different than a few weeks ago when Tamara talked about friendships and reflecting on the Trinity, right? I mean, think of the Trinity for a second. Do we not have roles in the Trinity? The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Are they all equally God? Yes, not a trick question. Yes, they're all equally God, and yet the Son says that I submit to who? The Father. Is Jesus any less of a person because he submits to the Father? No. It is not in terms of essence or being, but in terms of role. So that's why when we go and we see in marriage, there, there are pictures of the gospel and of the Trinity. We see that God has even created marriage as a means to display the glory of God and the triune character of God. So, when we go to Ephesians 5, and Paul says, wives, submit to your husbands, and husbands, love your wives, and we see these role distinctions there. They're not contingent upon that particular area. They're rooted in how God has created us and what reflects his glory. So given that, I'm going to step back and say, if that is what marriage should look like, well, then men ought to be initiating 
in the relationship. Risk and all. Get this. I love what Michael Lawrence says. He says this. Real men risk rejection. Write it down. Tweet it. Don't quote me. Quote Michael Lawrence. Real men risk rejection. Welcome to leadership. Welcome to trusting God. Welcome to being a man. Your cards belong on the table. Can I get an amen? I hear you women. I hear you. <laughs> By initiating your goal is to provide a safe and secure context by which the woman can respond. And you need to be honest and upfront and extremely clear to her about your intentions. I'll use myself as an example. 11, 12 years ago, this is what the conversation looked like with my, she wasn't my wife then, but with Lee. We're actually on a mission trip in China. We're not dating we're on a mission trip in China. I've been watching her. I'm looking at these characteristics. I've, I've been, you know, I've been going Lecrae style. Got a, I've been praying for a 10, but I found the one, you know, kind of like that. And so I go and initiate a conversation. Say, hey, I want to have a conversation with you. I mean, Lee, you know, you guys know Lee. I mean, she's just beautiful, you know, inside and out, head to toe, all that. Um, Lee, I hope you listen to this on, on the podcast. <laughs> And this is the conversation. Hey, Lee, I dig your chili. We can, I'll define that later. I am not interested in wasting time in my life. God has called me to serve him and not waste any time. He may return any moment. I'm looking at it, and I sense God has given me the desires for marriage. And I look at you, and I see your life, and, man, I feel... I think you would be the type of person that I could see spending the rest of my life with. So here's what I want you to pray about. Man, I don't want to waste any time. I'm not looking to play the field today. But man, I would, man, if you feel the same way that I feel and sense, man, I'd love to initiate a relationship that we could pursue with marriage as our goal. I'm not asking you to marry me. I'm not committing to marriage, but this is my goal. Guys, do you get that? Like, write that down. Like, that's clarifying your intentions. That's like, now, I'm not playing around. I'm being upfront. I'm, I'm not lying to you. You go ask Lee about this conversation. It's exactly how it played out. And you know what she said? She did not say yes immediately. <laughs> that's okay. My cards were on the table. It took her, I think it was a week or two weeks she prayed through it. She went back to those that she'd been discipled by and doing life with, and she came back and said, let's start moving this thing forward. Something like that. <laughs> so men, you lay it on the table. It requires risk, but this is what God's called you to do. Be a leader. Women, you respond. Now, I know that's scary. You're sitting here thinking, man, I've got to wait for the man to respond and you know what? That's probably going to be the biggest complaint. I'm going to have a line over here after the service of all these ladies. They're like, man, but these guys, I want to say to the men, you need to own up and start initiating with these women. That's what they're upset about. <laughs> but women, you need to learn how, as men need to learn how to initiate, women need to learn how to respond. And it does require trust in the providence and sovereignty of God. But you see in this dating definition there a role that a father or a church plays there. Man, I understand some of you do not have fathers who get this idea of shepherding and protecting. I'm sitting beside my daughter this morning. It is my God-given role to raise her and prepare her. If God gives her the gift of marriage, to present her blameless and pure. It's my responsibility. Now, I can't control that, but I own that. Now, some of you don't have dads that get that, or, or maybe dads that are unbelievers. So there's a role that a local church can come in, and you, can, you could come to your community group leader or one of your elders and say, will you help me and, and kind of function and, and help oversee and protect this relationship? But, man, you're a father, and you're like, man, what do you, what do, you do? Well, here's what you do. She, you know, she says, hey, go talk to my dad, and you pull out the application for permission to date my daughter. You know, you get the name, the birth date, the height, the weight, the IQ, GPA, Social Security number, Boy Scout rank and badges, you know, all the goods. 
Then you go through the questionnaire, you know, do you have access to a van, a truck with oversized tires, a waterbed, a pickup truck with a mattress in the back, a tattoo, earring, you know, all of it. And then, you know, a, a further extended part, in 50 words or less, what does late mean to you? In 50 words or less, what does don't touch my daughter mean to you? In 50 words or less, what does abstinence mean to you? There you have it. Father's application right there. No! That, that is not what we do. Jen Wilkins has been reflecting on this, and she wrote a blog. What is the problem with this? It expects that my daughter's going to have poor judgment, and I've got to be the shotgun dad who scares off all of these suitors. And so Jim Wilkins, look at this. Look at what she says. She says, you need to build a wall. That's right, you heard me. Build a wall. Go all Rapunzel. Build it so high that only the strongest of suitors can scale it. She's referring to Song of Solomon 8, 8 and 9. Instead of intimidating all your daughter's potential suitors, raise a daughter who intimidates them just fine on her own. Because you know what's intimidating? Strength and dignity. Deep faith. Self-assuredness, wisdom, kindness, humility, industriousness. Those are the bricks that build the wall that would stand the advances of slouchy pants, whether you ever show up with your Winchester locked and loaded or not. The unsuitable suitor finds nothing more terrifying than a woman who knows her worth to God and to her family. Fathers, raise your daughters as a strong tower and a wall. You got that, T? You got me. This is what we ought to be doing instead of standing there with our shotguns. And so it's the guy who initiates and it's the woman who responds. She may do this through a father, through somebody helping her, or I'm not saying that she can't do it herself. I'm just saying we need to evaluate. There are roles of a father in life that you need to be cognizant and aware of. And women, when you respond, be honest. Display the glory of God. Don't lead a guy on that you have no interest in ever pursuing, okay? All right, I gotta pick up my pace. Third encouragement, you need to guard your time together. You don't need to spend a ton of one-on-one -on -one time together. You need to spend your time with family, with friends, and groups. You need to be careful about deep sharing things early on. And I would even say this, hey, you're dating a Christian, you don't need to spend lengthy time in word and prayer. That's going to increase spiritual intimacy. That's going to also tempt you in other areas of intimacy. You want to keep these things initially low. The goal here, Song of Solomon 2.7, do not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. You do not start what you cannot finish. And so if we're going to pursue God and honor him, we've got to be very careful in this. Fourth encouragement. Let's go back to 1 Thessalonians 4. Flee sexual intimacy, and pursue holiness. Paul continues in verse three. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body and holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, regards, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. You were not called for impurity, but in holiness. Why? Jesus is returning. And so our, our goal is, is, how do we pursue dating in a way that prepares me to be blameless, to be holy, not just myself, but the person that I'm initiating a relationship with. And the way we pursue holiness specifically, he says, you abstain from sexual immorality. The Greek word here is porneia. It's where we get our English word pornography, and it, it includes at minimum fornication, which is at least an aspect of its meaning, consensual sexual intercourse between two persons not married to each other. And in light of Matthew 7, it would also include lust, pornography, and, 
and a list of other sexual sins outside of the context of marriage. Here's what we see as we evaluate Paul. The only proper context for sexual activity is marriage. That's it. Why? You're sitting here, but John, but John, but John. Why? Because marriage is a picture of the gospel. And to engage in sex outside of that perverts that picture. God created marriage so that you would see a visible picture of what it looks like for Christ to come and die to save those who are lost. And when you engage in sexual activity outside of that relationship that's supposed to picture, and Tanner will share more about this next week in marriage, it perverts the gospel. Not only that, there is all kind of hurt and damage that comes from it. So why should you abstain from sexual immorality? What does Paul say here? He says, in verse five, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Number one, our knowledge of God should determine and drive how we engage in relationships. As I just said, knowledge of God and the understanding of marriage and the gospel. And then secondly, he says here, Verse six, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter. No one defraud your brother. Here's the deal. When you engage in a relationship, whether you marry that person or not, so that, that, that girl or that guy is gonna eventually one day marry another brother or sister in Christ. And, and if you engage in sexual immorality and don't marry that person, you're defrauding that future spouse whom that person was prepared and, and made for. You guys follow me there? So Paul's not even arguing. Look at what the Gentiles do. He's saying, how are you gonna treat this guy or girl as a brother or sister in Christ? And that's what 1 Timothy 5, 2 says. Paul's giving encouragements and he says, treat younger women as sisters in absolute purity, in all purity. So you're here today and you're asking the question, well then, how far is too far in a relationship? That's usually the question, right? And we get our youth together, man, how far is too far? Let me just give you a few questions to think through. Does this action make that person more holy? Does it glorify and magnify the greatness of God? Is there even a hint of sexual immorality? Ephesians 5 says there shouldn't even be a hint. Does, does what you did inspire peace or an uncomfortable shudder knowing that the Trinity observed at all, and I would say this, to ask the question, how far is too far, is the wrong question. We should be asking, what will most please my heavenly Father? So we go to 1 Corinthians, and he doesn't just say abstain, he says flee sexual immorality. So I just wanna pose you, in your dating relationships, what does it look like to flee? I'll just be honest, cohabitation is not an example of that. Man, I know it's kind of cool to say, all right, man, we're just gonna pretend like we're married. We'll live together. We'll enjoy all the benefits of marriage without marriage. We'll kind of test it out. We're gonna test drive marriage. And if it doesn't work, we'll go through something akin to a divorce and then we'll all be good. No. In view of this, I don't see how you can pray, Lord, lead me not into temptation and live with the person that you're dating. I don't see how it's possible. So what does it look like to flee sexual immorality and to pursue the glory of God? Not only that, man, what do your lost neighbors think about your relationship? Because what does the world assume if you're, if you're living with another guy or girl? They assume you're having sex. So what are you communicating to that person? I just wanna pause here and, and we're, we're wrapping up. Man, you're here today. And you may say, man, John, I haven't been fleeing sexual immorality. Maybe it's not in a relationship. Maybe it's pornography. What do you do? Or maybe you say, man, I'm in, a, I'm in a relationship that I don't need to be in. You may even right now just feel overcome with guilt and condemnation. And let me just say this. My goal today is not to hold up Hey, do this and God will accept you and you'll get into heaven because you did the way he wants you in dating. Look, the only way any of us will be accepted by God is the righteousness of Christ. 
You guys hear that? I stand here today as somebody who was addicted to pornography for about eight years of my life, and nobody knew it. From a ninth grader to a second year in college, a sophomore. And my parents didn't have a clue until I preached about it a couple years later and shared that. Look, you can hide this junk. You can hide it in a relationship. You can hide lust and pornography. But I stand here as one to tell you that it will not satisfy you. Only an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ will satisfy you. So I plead to all of us, whether you're in pornography or an immoral relationship or dating somebody you shouldn't be dating, repent, turn to Jesus, and embrace him today as the greatest treasure in your life. As we sang earlier, till on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. Every sin on him was laid. Here in the death of Christ I stand. Jesus died for your sexual immorality. Repent and come to him today for forgiveness. I'm going to end there. I, I intended to talk about what it looks like to engagement. I'll let Tanner carry that on next week. And I really feel like right now it's appropriate for the band to come up and for us to respond in light of the gospel. Maybe the best thing for you today right now is just to close your eyes to pray and confess your sin to God and beg him for forgiveness. Maybe you need to come grab myself or another pastor and say, I need help. We want to help you. You can't fight impurity alone. You need the church, and that's why we're here. Let me lead us, and let's respond. Heavenly Father, I know we've been confronted with some hard words today in light of our culture that is all about sex. But God, I believe that you are good, that sex is good within the context of marriage as a means of displaying your glory. And so God, I, I cry out today that you would give us grace to respond rightly, to pursue holiness and purity, to find our righteousness in Christ, to look to the cross and see that your wrath was poured on Christ for our sin, and you would break us of that and free us. God, even as maybe some of us are tempted to think of sins in the past, maybe not in the present, that we would continue to look to the cross for those sins, to see that they were forgiven. We've been washed white as snow in your blood. You paid it all. And God, I pray you would raise up in our church a group of men that risk rejection and initiate and women who greatly trust in the sovereignty and providence of God and a church that's known in Medford as a church that pursues holiness. God, this is only possible by the power of the gospel through the Holy Spirit that you have given to us as Paul says in verse 8. Empower us to this end, I pray in Christ's name.